Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. It's Christina here this week, and I have Dr. Rachel Milner on discussing the updated American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines and the very harmful implications that they have. We talk about the dangers of pathologizing children's bodies and what this can do long-term to their physical and mental well-being. And since it's the beginning of the school year, we talk about the harmful mandatory school weigh-ins and how this practice amplifies pathologizing children's bodies in the school environment. And then finally, we examine the ripple effect of these practices and what we can do as parents, school administrators, and clinicians to support and advocate for our children. Friendly reminder, Dane and I are hosting a free meal planning power hour, the wholehearted eating edition on Thursday, September 28th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us to learn how to meal plan in a non-diet, non-restrictive way, how to make food more easily accessible and available with no food paralysis or decision fatigue. I know it's a tall order, but we deliver. We'll also get a wholehearted eating meal planning guide, which we will walk you through on the power hour so you have the tools to be successful on your own in the future. Check out the link in the show notes to get a free guide to get you started. And if you're listening to this after September, no worries. The recording and guide are still available and we've updated the link in the show notes to reflect that. I am so excited to have Dr. Rachel Milner on today and Rachel, I'd love for you to introduce yourself a little bit and kind of share about like who you are, what you do, and how you kind of got into this space. And then I'll like pop into my my first like big question, but we're really going to dive into the Association of American Pediatrics guidelines um, that came out last year, I think. Um, and I'd like for us to kind of dive into that more. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um yeah. Like you said, my name is Rachel Milner. I'm a psychologist um, in private practice in the Philadelphia area, and I mostly work with people with eating disorders, disordered eating, and do a lot of um, fat liberation work. Um, I got into this space, a combination of my own healing process, and then um, through my work in social justice in general, and wanting recognizing that really in order to heal from an eating disorder, disordered eating, that fat liberation has to be a part of it and, um, and the power of fat community. And so, um, those, that combination of things is what brought me into this space. I love that for the people who maybe aren't aware or might not know, could you share like, specifically what fat liberation is so that people know when we tie back into it, people know exactly 
what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think in its like very simplest terms is fat liberation. It means that fat people would have the same rights, access, um, spaces available, being treated the same as anybody in a smaller body. Um, there's obviously a lot more nuance that would probably take too long, longer than we have to get into right now. But I think that's like the simplest definition is basically that fat people having equal rights and ending the like anti-fat bias or discrimination against fat people. Yeah. I mean, when you put it so simply like that, it seems bonkers that we even have to have this conversation, (laughs) right? Like, like when you think about it, like that's like, yes. And why is this a conversation that needs to happen? You know? And I think on like the, the heels of what the AAP guidelines are, it's kind of feels even more prudent for people to be speaking even more loudly and more clearly about it. Um, especially in protection of our younger generations that are going to be raised in this even more so. And now it's just so multi-layered. So what I'd like for you to do is I think a lot of times I know for my husband, actually, when I told him the AAP guidelines, he literally said that can't possibly be true. He said, there's no way that this is real and that this is actually what they're recommending. And I said, I know it seems bonkers, right? When you put it in layman's terms that this is what's happening. But I said, this is 100% real. So for everybody listening, we're going to do a lot of clarifying at the beginning, and then we're going to kind of go into it. But I would really love for you to break down a little bit the the AAP guidelines um, and what what they are and what they mean um, and what they are actually recommending. And I'm going to put resources in the show notes. I'll put the actual guidelines in there so people can go and read them themselves. But I'd love for you to give like, you know, a Cliff's Notes version of what we're dealing with here. Yeah. So the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with this document that was written primarily by um, providers who all have earned money in different ways from various weight loss, products, pills, um, surgery. So certainly not an objective group of people. Um, But essentially what the document talks about is focusing on weight loss in children. And they start with kids as young as two years old saying that they should be monitored and that weight loss should be recommended in kids who are two and above if they're in a larger body and they then encourage um, what they call you know interventions um, of weight loss medication or bariatric surgery in kids and adolescents who are in larger bodies Um, which all of that is completely bananas and so horrific can't imagine a two-year-old like I'm thinking about my own child at various different times and how confusing this would be for parents because you know when your baby is an infant they focus so much on making sure that they are gating and so like having like a higher percentage and body size when they're an infant is so celebrated and then something happens between one and two and now all of a sudden being in this higher percentage is now considered means for intervention 
it's ridiculous and so harmful unbelievably Uh, harmful yes and you know there's so much hypocrisy even in the document itself one of the things that I noticed in reading it which I know you're going to link it in the show notes and just giving people a content warning that it is a very difficult document to read it's you know full of anti-fat bias it's stigmatizing um it's a pretty horrific document so if anyone's gonna venture into it do it maybe cautiously maybe we won't post it in there and then if anyone wants it they can find it on their own (laughs) that's that's probably a a really great point to to bring up yeah um but anyway in the document they pretty much say we know that long-term weight loss is not possible they acknowledge that kids who have or adolescents who have bariatric surgery they actually say they might need an additional surgery later on in their life um if you read through what it says about the various weight loss medications there is no research to support that any of these medications are safe in kids so even putting their focus on weight loss aside which like i said they acknowledge that these do not lead to long-term weight loss they don't know if these medications are safe god and the amount of stuff that we do to make sure that our children are getting medications and getting you know (laughs) the obsession with nutrients too and like (laughs) like i just can only like imagine the level of like how do we not have any kind of concern over that but we have so much concern about whether or not our produce is organic or not like i can't really lay into the amount of also like equity in this too that comes up as well like it's hard to not see that there it seems very obvious to me that levels of of socioeconomic status are going to be impacted more greatly than others with this um as well and that is really awful so thank you for breaking them down briefly Um, they are horrific. I think anyone who hears what they're doing and what it says in that clarity feels very similarly, like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. And so I think one of the things too, is like, if we're going to be pathologizing children's bodies at such a young age, um, I'd like to one have you kind of talked to us about the harms of doing that and kind of especially at such a young age and how the measures that they're describing are so harmful to not just the children's physical bodies like right like not knowing what the medications are even safe for children what the effects of bariatric surgery are if anyone wants to know I'm happy to talk about it from a nutritional level like what this does um, but also like their overall mental well-being too. I'd love for you to kind of break into that a little bit. I think that's such an important question because I think the inclination is to move like only in the direction of what's the physical harm and forgetting that there's significant emotional harm too. So I think several things. One is that we know that kids who are put on diets or 
told to lose weight are at an increased risk of eating disorders and that people who experience weight stigma, so like discrimination based on the size of their body, which anybody who is told to lose weight is experiencing, are also at increased risk of suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, depression, anxiety. And so it's not, you know, people don't realize that actually these interventions put people's lives in danger due to the emotional torture that these kids are being put through. Yeah. I mean, if I had a dime for every client of mine who said this started when I was little and at the doctor's office and feeling like from like a very young age that there was something wrong with their body. And then later on, we're trying to understand why their relationship with food is so complicated. It's to me, it seems like, you know, no, like, like duh, <laughs> you know, like right. this isn't your fault and you've never, and especially I think when you're thinking about within the pediatrician's office and things like that too, it's like, this is your experience with a doctor who's supposed to be looking out for your health and longevity and supposed to be um, advocating for you and at a position of like severe authority, you know, and someone that you're supposed to be entrusting with your well-being. And if you're being told at such a young age that everything is wrong with your body and you need to do everything you can in the pursuit of weight loss, it would be hard to then undo and unlearn that. And that's where like that fat liberation work becomes so complicated because now we have this authority voice of like, no, that can't possibly be true. That um, one of your Instagram posts, I really loved where you post when you said um, the way we talk about these, like these guidelines as if they're headless fat kids and adolescents. Um, and that these kids and adolescents who happen to be fat and also have full lives um, and the AAP is recommending to be used like to be used in the sole pursuit of weight loss. I was thinking about that, like in the the like full soul pursuit of weight loss in any other body and in any other circle that's considered anorexia. Yep. Yeah, Deb Burgard has, you know, talked about and says that we prescribe to fat people, fat kids, what we diagnose as eating disorders in yeah. thin people or thin kids. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. and, and then in a thinner kid, it's, you know, it's anorexia and it's like, it's a problem that needs to be resolved. And I, I feel like I had this um, conversation with a, a client of mine the other day where I said, you know, you're really not eating enough. And she said, in my body? And I said, yes, yes, in your body, like in your body, yes, and all in anybody, you're not eating enough, you know. And I think like this type of stuff comes back and gets started at this time, at that age, at a very young age, where you're told that it's not, it's not right. So, can we talk about the long-term effects and harm of having children's sole experience with their healthcare providers? centered around their body size. Like, let's talk about that a little bit, especially as a psychologist. Yeah, it's such an abuse of power when healthcare providers start focusing on the size of children's bodies and focusing solely on weight loss. And what happens is that it then 
sets kids up for a lifetime of thinking their body's a problem, thinking that they need to do something to manage their body. And if every time you go to a healthcare provider, what you're told is you need to lose weight, then why would you go to a healthcare provider? And so higher weight people end up not going to healthcare providers, not because we're avoidant or because we don't care about our well-being, but because every time we show up at a healthcare provider, we're being harmed, then it's self-protective not to go. But that means that we're not getting the care that we need, like being able to have access to blood pressure readings that are accurate. There was just a study that came out about like blood pressure cuffs and the impact of using blood pressure cuffs that are too small. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me when that... I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's so scary. Mm-hmm. They told me that um, my blood pressure was really high. And I said, I've never had high blood pressure my entire life. And then the next nurse came in, she goes, we're using the wrong cuff size. Like we need to put a new one on. I'm like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I, you know, at that point you're like worried at preeclampsia and different types of yeah. things. And it's like, well, do I need to be concerned about this or not? And oh God, yes. There's so many layers. Yeah. I think that parallel though, like thinking about what a vulnerable time pregnancy is and what a vulnerable time childhood is really like, kids are yeah. vulnerable to the influence of the adults around them they don't know any different kids don't know that it's okay to question adults they especially don't know that it's okay to question healthcare providers and so they're so vulnerable to whatever messages they're exposed to yeah i 100 i think also too it's like they also are looking to adults to keep them safe because we're supposed to be the ones keeping them safe. And when we think about, and I know for myself and, and being a a licensed nutritionist, I am also required to do no harm the same way that doctors do. And I think sometimes we think of like harm in such a narrow mind. And I think some of these guidelines are, are a really great example of like, hyper-focusing on something and thinking I'm not going to do any harm when really we're pulling threads that are way more harmful harmful than letting a child's body be what the child's body is going to be. If these interventions were written about something like cancer and the doctors acknowledge that they don't work 95% of the time, we have no idea of the long-term health risks and they lead to mental health issues. Nobody would say, oh, this is a great idea. Let's celebrate these things. We would (laughs) express a lot of concern and say, wait a minute, this is not ethical. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing here? I think also too, one of the things that I've been thinking about as well, when it comes to this too, is like as a parent, um, when you're going up against your pediatrician and you have a child who's in a, in a fat body or in a larger body and, you know, and you want to, okay, if it's not going to be that, and I don't want to go down that road, but I want to support what it looks like for my child to have, you know, an, uh, you know, I don't know, like, I'm just thinking from a parent's perspective, how people might be thinking about it. 
what would you recommend the conversation be with their pediatrician around this and how to kind of educate your, your pediatrician, which is seems unnecessary, like feels like something we shouldn't have to, the burden shouldn't have to be on us as the parents advocating for our kids. Um, one, it's not always easy to find a pediatrician that is going to be aligned with your values and around protecting around this. I think it's more often than not, you're not going to find someone who's like this. Um, so if you do have children who are at risk for this, how do you encourage parents to talk to their kids about it? Talk to the pediatrician. How do you, how do you support people navigating this? It's such an important topic to think about. And before I dive into these kinds of conversation, I, I always just like to acknowledge that the amount any parent can do in terms of intervening or educating is also related to the amount of privilege the 100. family has. And 100%. so, you know, as a white person, as a psychologist who works in this field, when I go into my kid's pediatrician office and I speak up, they tend to listen to me. I also, you know, have health insurance that allows me if this doctor won't listen, I could switch pediatricians. And, you know, so not all parents are in the that situation. Yeah. And I think parents are doing the best they can the vast majority of the time. Um, so that said, I think there's lots of ways parents can intervene at the pediatrician office. I think that one way that I think works a lot of the time and is less confrontational for parents who don't want to be like directly um, communicating with the doctor in a way that they're going to have more of like an outright conflict is to say, if to me about my child's weight or you know, BMI or what they're eating, I would like you to do it without my child present. Mm, so perfect, that protects the kid start. from hearing yeah. it. Parents can hear it. They don't have to do anything with the information, but the doctor said their spiel. Parents heard it. They can leave and the kid's been protected. I think, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that gets more complicated as the child gets older. Right. Yes. And then they're alone with the doctor per their request or whatever. And then that can get layered in. But at a young age, it's like the perfect. I mean, that's I'm lucky enough to go to a doctor who has a lot of values aligned with with my own, um, which is not typical. Mm -hmm. um, but I live in a really urban area. I live in Philadelphia and there are people here that have similar values and everything. Um, but I, I will say, I feel like that is such a perfect thing to say, to start off the conversation. I mean, I, the first thing I did was emailed my doctor and said at the start of the AAP guidelines. And I said, I'd be really curious to hear what your thoughts are on this and how is this going to be implemented at the practice, if at all. Love and that. I think, I think that's also a really great way to kind of start too, is getting curious with your doctors too, of like, how do you guys feel about this? Um, what is your approach to this? And how are we going to be navigating this together as a team? And I think that can be really helpful. I think sometimes um, in like the, in the healthcare world, I think doctors are like, I just want to get through my day. <laughs> 
day. I work with a lot of doctors and like a lot of them aren't trying to do any harm, but they're also feel like they're fighting an uphill battle too, because they're getting fought at from their legislatures and from the insurance companies. And it's a multi-layered rigmarole. And um, I do think like even just reaching out to your provider and saying, how do you feel about these and hearing their personal opinion about it and then saying, okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. This is how I'm feeling about it too. Um, here are some things that I'm thinking about doing to implement, to protect my child from this, such as like what you just said around, I would prefer if anything does come up and that you have to note anything, can we make sure that it's hidden in the chart? Can we make sure that it's very clear that this is not to be discussed with my child or at any point and it's discussed with me? Here are the ways in which you can get in touch with me if I'm not in the, in, in the appointment with you. Um, I think are all such great, great things. But as they get older, and in Pennsylvania, you know, the age of like um, consent is 14. So I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are as, as the child gets older and it gets more complicated and how do you protect them at that age when they're also like the most vulnerable? I know it's so hard. Um, I think we need to be talking to our kids about this from the time they are young, the same way, like when my kid, I have 11 year old twins and when they were little, we read books and made sure I made sure that the books had people with all different size bodies and that talked about different kinds of families and you know talked about um, celebrating different bodies and different abilities and so if you've been having those conversations with kids since they were really young then as they get older they feel more empowered to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. Um, you know my kids could tell you all about what anti-fat biases they could tell you about eating disorders they could tell you about weight stigma um they know exactly what my beliefs are around it they now come home like if something happens in school that's fat phobic they come home and they're like mommy this happened today and they know that it's problematic and so i think we can teach kids like it's okay to say no to getting weighed at the doctor's office. It's okay to tell the doctor that you don't want to talk about something. You know, it's okay to ask for a parent to come in. You know, if the child is or adolescent isn't safe from weight stigma with the doctor, they can say, I want my parent in the room. Mm-hmm. And the doctor need, will need to adhere to that request. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about how complicated this could become if you have a doc if you have a doctor who's really hard pressed about it and thinks of it as like harmful what you're doing like what you know of like if you're not pursuing it to the same level that they are and I don't even want to go there other than this is so messed up but because it could have so many different layers but I was thinking as the school year is starting too, like one advocating for yourself but I also think too like with the school year starting and the school weigh-ins happening as well something that I've been thinking a lot about that I would love to get your thoughts on is one I've always thought that the weigh-ins at school are just bonkers like I don't understand why they're doing it it just it seems so wildly out of scope for a school Mm -hmm. to be doing 
But something that I've been thinking about as this school year starts after the AAP guidelines came out and everything too, and thinking, well, if we're pathologizing body sizes and the AAP guidelines are what they are, how are schools not in a way practicing medicine and and diagnosing children when it like diagnosing children at these weigh-ins at this point now. And so I can't think, I can't like, so I was thinking about how it's so out of scope. I'm like, yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. But to them, it's like this innocent, you know, to the, it's innocent, quote unquote, innocent, you know, health experience, you know, which is bonker, like so many layers. And I'd love for you to talk about why those weigh-ins are so problematic. But now with this AAP stuff, it does feel like they're potentially diagnosing children and then putting them into this funnel. Right. Cause I was thinking about that, like how that could all play out. Kid get ways at school. They get marked as obese um, on their, on their chart from their teacher. The teacher tells the parent, the parent goes to the pediatrician. And then next thing you know, it's this whole, this whole thing. Yeah. So this is state sanctioned violence against kids' bodies. And at least in the state of Pennsylvania, the schools are mandated to do these weigh-ins by the state and to send home letters if the child is in a certain BMI category. And so the schools are adhering to what the state has mandated. As parents, we can opt our kids out. You know, I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't realize all the things we actually can opt our kids out of. And these weigh-ins are one of the things we can opt our kids out of. And we can opt our kids out of certain classes. I mean, even when my kids were in preschool, like, you know, they have the dentist come in to teach kids about brushing their teeth. Well, the dentist talks about sugar nonstop. Mm -hmm. So I opted my kid out of the dentist. And, you know, I think like we get to say, no, my child's not participating. And so I think that's one thing, like, Kids don't have to get weighed if the parent opts them out. If you don't yeah. opt them out, they will get weighed. Yeah, um, and they'll get forced to be weighed. That happened to a couple of clients of mine who said they were like bawling and saying, don't, I don't want to do this. And the parent hadn't sent in a letter because I don't think the parent knew that they could even send in a letter yeah. because there's no letter going in saying, hey, would you like to opt out of this? Here are the harms around <laughs> around." around doing it. I mean, you can still follow the state guidelines and also still let parents know how great would it be if the entire school opted out, (laughs) you know? Um, So I think it's, it's just so complicated. It's so complicated because there's not enough knowledge around it. Yeah. We would have to have a system that prioritizes consent and that sees kids and kids' bodies as autonomous and having the right to choice and that's not how our system works and so like kids should have to consent to be weighed the parents should also have to consent to their child being weighed and that doesn't happen yeah no it I think and I think that's a huge misunderstanding from a parent's perspective because I feel like a lot of times we don't know I mean I send my child to her preschool every single day and I like to believe I know the messages that they're being taught at school, 
but I really don't know for sure some of the things that are going on there. Not that I need to know every single thing that's coming up, but I have to hope that my child comes home and tells me something and then I hear it and then I can have a conversation with them on their own. Like about the dentist, that's kind of funny that you bring that up because of a friend of ours, it happens at five. I mean, this is happening at such a young age. My daughter's friend was over and my daughter was eating some little gummy things. Um, and her friend said, I'm not allowed to have those because my dentist said they're bad for my teeth. And my sister, my daughter, my sister, I don't have a sister. <laughs> my daughter looked at me and said, like looked confused. And I said, it's safe for you to eat those, honey. Like you can have one if they don't want to have one because their family says they can't, that's entirely up to their family to have to, to do that. But in our house, it's totally fine for you to have that. We can talk about it later, you know? Um, and I think like at five, you know, at five. So insidious. And mm -hmm. well, I think that the schools have these like policies they don't mean to be doing harm but there's not. ways that diet culture shows up in these like more subtle ways like at lunch you need to eat like the main portion of your food first before you have the side dishes mm -hmm. or you can only like one of the things that came up in my kids school that I had to address was like my kids buy lunch at school and they had some policy that like you could only buy one of what they considered like snack foods and so I had to call the school and be like, my kid can buy more than one snack food. And so it's like this stuff shows up mm -hmm. and it's these policies or like, you know, the class, you get a letter home that's like, please send in a quote unquote healthy snack. And parents think that means they have to only send certain foods. Yeah. And I just send whatever my kids want or whatever we decide on. And nobody's ever questioned it, but if they did, I would push back around like, what's the definition of health? And, you know, the whole conversation. All, the whole thing. How are we defining that? What does that look like? You know, how are we looking at this and what are, what ingredients are okay or not okay in your eyes? And where's the, the knowledge deficit here? You know, I think a lot of times too, is people tend to, to give me maybe a little bit more of a face because I'm also a nutritionist so like wait you don't agree with this I'm like no that's bonkers like that's that's nonsense yeah. like, I don't know where you're where you're getting that from but I think that this conversation is is so important and so and I feel like it could also seem really doom and gloom a little bit like this is what we're dealing with and it is and I think it needs to be a reality and sometimes acknowledging that it is a little doom and gloom can help spark change with if more people are upset about it and doing doing something about it. So for parents out there listening, I'd love for you to kind of summarize a little bit about some things that they can do. You've already given some things, but if there's anything that you want them to be left with around how they can be protecting their child at home around their body and when they go to the pediatrician, how they can help kind of protect their child from this harm. Parents have way more influence than we think we do sometimes. We cannot protect our kids from everything as much as we wish we could. They're going to be out in the world. They're going to be exposed to this stuff. There's no way to avoid that. 
But what we can do is make home a safe place so that they know that no matter what messages they get in the world, their body is always going to be valued and respected at home and that home is a safe place for them to access all foods and wear what they want to wear and live in the bodies that they're in. I think we kids are resilient and so we can have these conversations. Kids understand if we're talking to them in age-appropriate ways around social justice, around discrimination, around weight stigma. And so kids can be armed with that information. It's not going to change the fact that it hurts and is painful when they're exposed to it. But part of what we're helping kids do is understand like the cultural issues rather than internalizing it as much and feeling like, oh, my body's the problem. I think at home, something like don't talk about diets, don't pathologize bodies, offer, you know, all different kinds of foods, like, you know, those kinds of things are obviously really important and helpful to kids have like artwork with different size bodies in it. So kids just are exposed to size diversity as just a normal part of being human, which it is. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And I think um, I was thinking about um, in Virginia Soul Smith's book, Fat Talk. It's such an awesome book for parents, such a a great book. But in one of them, I feel like she really got me a little bit when I, because you do want to protect your kid. And I, especially because my young, my oldest Elodie is only five. And so I think for so long, I just was like, I want to keep the diet culture bubble out of her world for as long as possible. And in in Virginia's book, she talks about how she thought about like cutting off Peppa Pig in her house and how she was like, I don't really want them watching it because of the way they talk about bodies and like all these different shows that talk about bodies. And I was the same way. And then she said, but then I thought of it as an opportunity to have a conversation. I was like, oh, Virginia, you got me. Oh man. Okay. So, but I think, you know, when we think about protecting our kids, so much of what makes us uncomfortable is really what's going to make them more susceptible to getting this type of harm outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about that I love that you kind of brought up is having the conversations. And even if it's new to you as a parent, start reading up about it, start doing little implementations of things, start doing, because it can happen in small little micro shifts until you're comfortable with it. Because we have also been pathologized by our body sizes. We have also been susceptible to diet culture and we have to work on unlearning it and liberating ourselves from this as well. And therefore we can then model that to our children. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And parents get to do their own healing and we can protect our kids while we're also doing our own healing work. You know, it's not like we've got to be like, (laughs) yes, I love my body every moment of every day because that's not possible in this culture. Um, But we can still make sure that we're talking about any negative feelings about our own bodies away from our kids we can make sure that we're not, you know, engaging in diet talk in front of our kids. We can make sure that we're not judging other people's bodies in front of our kids. And 
I don't know about you, but I know um, a lot of clients that I work with will say like, had there just been one person who told me that my body was okay, that would have changed my whole experience. So parents can be that one person Mm -hmm. and you don't have to have done all your own healing to be the one person who tells your child that their body is fine as it is. Yeah. I even believe you can be working through your own active eating disorder and still be protecting your child from it simultaneously at the exact same time. And yeah, I know. I 100% agree with you. You can be that one person. And I do think it only takes one person. I love it when I read Elodie's story and she'll say during it, that's not true. And I'm like, yes, it's not true. <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah. right. You know? And, um, and I, and I love that. And I, I'm hearing that come from her. And I, I love when she looks at me as, is this okay for me to do? And I'm reinforcing for her. It's, it's cool to listen to your body. Like, it's okay. You know, I trust your body. I trust your teeth. We can brush them later. Like it's NBD bonkers, you know, like we can handle this on our own. If you got a cavity, we'll fill it. You know, I mean, what's the, what's the big deal? And um, yeah, but so thank you so much for, for coming on and having what I believe to be such an important conversation that needs to be happening in a lot more parenting circles. And so I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the things that you're putting out there. Your social media is a wealth of information and education. Um, So if you want to share your, your information handle where people can find you, that would be wonderful. Yeah. So yes, I hang out mostly on Instagram. My account is just at Dr. Rachel Milner, um, which links directly to my professional Facebook page, which is Rachel Milner PsyD. Um, and I have a private practice therapy group. We're virtual and also have some in person in Pennsylvania, but several of us are licensed in other states. So you know, if you're in a different state and want to find out if we're licensed in that state, folks can just reach out. Wonderful. Um, and the website's just rachelmilnertherapy.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at WholeheartedEatingPod on Instagram and at WholeheartedEating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholehearted eating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.